Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your consistent appeal to us to experience the love and the mercy and the blessings that you have for us. We thank you in particular, Lord, as we enter in this sermon now. We thank you for the reminder of your deep love for us that you have given to us through the Sabbath day. May we see it as that, a day of relationship, a day for a date with our Lord. In your name we pray, amen. We've begun every sermon of this series with those four words that are in pretty much every Bible, no matter what the version, remember the Sabbath day. But today we're going to look at the next several words in that text as well, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're going to talk today about, about holiness and look at the holiness of a day of time. Now holiness, talking about holiness and looking at holiness can be a, a somewhat dangerous thing, especially when we're talking about our relationship to holiness. It can be dangerous because it can become legalism. We know this from, from history. We've seen this in history. We talked about in our very first sermon that, that, that the, the Hebrews, when they, when they read this, they said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the Hebrew word for holy was this, this phrase, lekadesh, which we translate as holy, but which they understood at a deeper meaning. They, they related it because they used this phrase when they would speak of a bride on her wedding day. And so they related the Sabbath as, as, a, as a celebration of a bride on her wedding day. And they read this, this, this idea, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And they, they, they recognized that this day was not to be like every other day, that this day was to be unique and to be set apart and to be, to be different. They read the commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who is within your gates. They understood that this day was to be different. Everybody was called to do something different, to cease from their work, to cease from their toil, to set it apart, to have it as a day of rest. And so they sought to make this happen. They sought to, to, to focus on the holiness of the day. The Hebrew rabbis, as they came up with their, with their Sabbath requirements, they began to become focused less on the celebration of the Sabbath. They began to become focused less on the, the Lord of the Sabbath, the creator of the Sabbath, the, 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 the deliverer of Israel. They became focused more, though, on, on setting rules and parameters for the Sabbath. They did this, I believe, probably with the best intentions in mind. They, they began to see, they said, the Lord told us to, to keep the Sabbath holy. And they began to believe. They began to believe that it was their actions that actually made this day a holy day. And so the group of rabbis got together and they began to study and they began to, to, to look at how they could make the Sabbath more holy. They decided a good way to clearly establish what was okay and what wasn't okay was to look at another holy thing that was a part of their culture, the thing that they actually admired probably most in their culture, and that was the sanctuary, the temple. 
And as they defined the parameters of the Sabbath and, and what was okay for the Sabbath and what wasn't okay for the Sabbath, they decided the best way to do this was, was to, to base their re- regulations on what was associated with the building of the sanctuary. What was associated with the, with the building of the temple? If there was anything that was done with building the sanctuary, then this type of work must be forbidden on God's Sabbath day. And so the list of things a person could or couldn't do began to grow. Well, this list might not have been horrible if they'd, they'd kept in mind the relationship aspect of things, but, but, but they got sidetracked. Their, their focus got off kilter, and, they, and the list gained steam and momentum. And this list became a tool. This list that they developed became a tool by which they defined people as good or as not good, as holy Sabbath keepers or as unholy Sabbath keepers. I'm just curious, do any of us have lists like that either in our own lives or in our minds, which we look at others and say, you're doing okay, you're not doing okay. They began to look at this list and they developed this list in which it was a tool to, to judge people as good or bad. And so if you're a good Sabbath keeper, you followed 39 set out laws, but not really just those 39 set out laws, because there was these 39 set out laws, but then those 39 set out laws had subdivisions under them. And underneath those subdivisions, there were more subdivisions under them. And they, the list just grew and grew and grew. So basically, by the end of it, you couldn't tie your shoelaces because you couldn't make two loops on the Sabbath according to the, the Sabbath code and, of these rabbis. Because tying was a part of making the sanctuary. You also couldn't write two letters together. I appreciated Cliff's offering appeal. And I want to share with him disappointingly that we do need a new south porch roof, if anyone wants to know about that. But on the Sabbath day, you wouldn't have been able to write a tithe check. Don't use that as an excuse now. Or an offering check. Because... You weren't allowed to put two letters, write two letters together. Why? Because there was writing involved in the building of the sanctuary. These laws were set up as anything that was associated with the, the sanctuary you could not do. And there were 30 other def, 37 other definite rules and then commentary and additions and examinations that related to those 39 rules. Now the original thought might not have been bad. We want this day to be different than every other day. That's a good thought, and that's an okay thought. But they got askewed when they began to think, when they began to think that what we do or what we don't do makes this day a holy day. I want to tell you today that there is absolutely nothing that you can do that will make the Sabbath holy or unholy let me say that again. Your, you and your actions or you and your inactions have nothing to do with making the Sabbath holy. The Hebrews, by observing certain laws, did nothing to make Sabbath holy. By, not, by, by going to church here this morning, you have not made the Sabbath more holy. By refraining from certain things on this Sabbath day, you have not made the Sabbath more holy. If you go home and you do all kinds of things that, that, that maybe some of us wouldn't be comfortable, you have not made the Sabbath 
less holy. Because the Sabbath is holy not based on what you and I do. The Sabbath is holy because God himself defined it as holy. Folks, something we all need to learn and all need to remember, that we can do nothing to add to the works of our Savior, whether it's in making the Sabbath holy or in our own salvation. His work is perfect and true from the beginning. Listen to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Some of your Bibles will say God blessed the seventh day and he hallowed it. Or God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Or some of your Bibles will say and God blessed the seventh day and he set it apart. All this is saying what the fourth commandment says. Remember the Sabbath day because God has made it holy. He did not make it holy by the actions of Adam. He did not make it holy by the actions of Eve or by anything that the animals had done. The day was holy simply because God spoke it into being. He spoke it into being. There is no law that can make this day holy. The commandments did not make this day holy. It's holy because God said it was so. Think about creation. Day one, light and darkness. It is good. Firmament and heaven, God called it good. Dry land, the seas, the vegetation. God says this is good. The sun and the moon and the stars on the fourth day. And God said, this is good. On the fifth day, creatures in the water and birds in the air. And God said, this is good. The sixth day, of course, the land animals and the people. And God looked at all of creation. He said, this is very good. And then on the seventh day, he performed, in a way, another creative act. He defined a time period. He created a time period as holy, as holy. There was nothing else in creation that God himself defined in that moment as holiness. There were no parameters set around the keeping of Sabbath. God had not given, yet given the Ten Commandments. Jesus had not given his instructions on Sabbath. There was simply this time that God created as holy. The Sabbath is not holy by the grace of you or I or by the actions of you and I. Sabbath is holy in and of itself because God said it was so. By the grace of the Lord, there exists this Sabbath rest for us. So the question then isn't, what do we do to make the Sabbath holy? I mean, think about that question. I don't know about any of you, but I remember when I was in Sabbath school as a little kid, and one of the questions that the teachers would sometimes ask you is, what can we do on Sabbath to make it holy. Anyone else remember those conversations and those questions? What can we do to make the Sabbath? That's the wrong question. The right question is not, what do we do to make the Sabbath holy? The right question is, do we desire to enter in to the holiness of time? Do we desire to enter in to the holiness of time? Do we desire to be a part of this holy day, this holy relationship. God wrote, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
He wasn't asking you to do things to help him improve his day. He was asking you, he was inviting you to be a part of his holy celebration of who he is as creator and redeemer. He was inviting you to enter into a greater depth of a holy relationship that we have with him. When we keep, think of keeping the Sabbath holy, we need to, to stop thinking of it as rules and regulations, but rather as a response to the holy relationship that we want to share with Jesus and the benefit that it is to that holy relationship. I was thinking about this holiness thing, my role in being part of the Holy Sabbath day. And I was thinking about the way that we speak about the Sabbath and the way that we represent the Sabbath to others that we come in contact with. And tell me if this sounds familiar to anybody else. This is something that I've said and so I'm using this and, and I've heard others say it. But people ask me, and I've had been asked many times in my life, whether it's I'm talking to my hairdresser or, or a doctor or someone, whoever it is I'm talking with, I've been asked many times in my life, so why do you go to church on Saturday? Well, because I believe it's God's Sabbath day, and uh, he says that we're to keep the Sabbath, and I want to obey God's commands. I don't know if any of you have ever said that before. Anyone else here ever said that? Why do I keep the Sabbath? Well, because I want to obey God. God tells me to keep the Sabbath, and I want to obey God. Oftentimes, that's the language that we use. That's the language that we use. But what if we really started believing that the Sabbath wasn't primarily about a law, but it was about relationship? If we really recognize that the Sabbath is wholly apart from what I do, and I'm just being invited into this relationship, this deeper relationship with Jesus, how would our language change? How would our language change? The, the, the answer really isn't wrong. I, I do want to obey God. I do want to have that obedience in my life. But that's not where I should start when I think of the Sabbath. Think about it from the, the analogy of marriage. Is there anyone in here that's been married 50 years or more? 50 years, I see several hands. Several of you have been here married 50 years. One of the questions that you ask someone who's been married a long time, I don't know if it's just kind of our courtesy question or whatever it is, one of the questions that we ask is, man, 50 years, How'd you make it so long? I don't know why we ask that question, like we're anticipating that we may not make it. I, I, I've only been married 12 years, almost 13. I fully expect to, if the Lord doesn't come, to make it 50 years. I, I don't have any plans otherwise. But that's one of the questions we ask. Oh, how'd you make it so long? Or what's the secret to being married so long? Think about our response to the Sabbath in, in regards to the analogy of, of marriage. We meet someone who's been married a long time. Oh, how, 50 years, wow, how... How have you stayed married so long? Just imagine when someone meets me in 37 years after I've been married to Christina for 50 years. Oh, silver anniversary, congratulations. How did you do it? What if my response was, well, I believe the Bible says that a man and a woman are to stay married and therefore in obedience to the law, I stayed married to Christina. If I said that and Christina was there, I definitely would probably get a look, a sigh, maybe even a punch in the arm. Our language matters, and, and we're reflecting somewhat what we believe about the Sabbath when we talk, when we speak. 
But what if I said this when they asked me that question? I said, you know what, Christina is the love of my life. She's my, she's my best friend. And you asked me, how, how could I stay married for 50 years? I asked the other question, how could I not? How could I not? I mean, I look at just even these past 12 or 13 years and I think to myself, man, my life is richer because of this woman that has been there. In 50 years, I can't even imagine how rich it will be over that time, that history. What if we thought about the Sabbath and that? And when someone said to us, why do you keep the Sabbath? We say, it's because God's invited me into this relationship. And, and I can't imagine my life without the Sabbath. I can't imagine what my life would feel like if I didn't have the Sabbath on a weekly basis. I'm so in love with Jesus that, that, that it doesn't seem like a challenge at all. It's just this blessing. Our language, our focus. You see, because the Sabbath is about relationship. It's not about law. The day is holy, with or without me. But God calls me to be a part of this special, holy celebration. When he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, he says, I'm inviting you. Come on in. Join me in this celebration of my love for you. My love that I loved you enough that I created you. That I loved you enough that I redeemed you. Enter into this relationship. And then we discover in that 24 hours that there's something different about it. It is a 24-hour period of time that, that at the foundation of the world, God spoke into being and, and he created manua, as we said last week, this, this divine rest that can only come in connection to Jesus. And because of all this, and because of all this, we want to change what we do on the Sabbath, not to make the Sabbath more holy, but because we want to be fully immersed into the holiness of time. Folk, the Sabbath is holy with or without you. The Sabbath is holy not based on what you do or don't do. You coming to church this morning has not made your Sabbath any more holy. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But what I do on the Sabbath changes because God has called it holy. And I don't want anything to penetrate that holy bubble. To, 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 to infiltrate that holy bubble. As we've been told, do not profane, do not do anything profane on the Sabbath. And we can think of these gross and exaggerated things when we hear that word, but the true definition of that word is simply this, doing that which is not sacred. Doing that which is not sacred. There's a lot of things that we do as Christians that are perfectly acceptable, that are perfectly acceptable that are not sacred. You driving your car just by the record, there ain't nothing sacred or holy about that. In fact, probably we should be a little more sacred and holy while we were driving our car, some of us. But holiness, what is sacred, is lessened. It's devalued by what is unholy, what is profane, what is not sacred. And because of my relationship with Jesus, I don't want anything to interfere with experience the full holiness, the full blessing that God has for me on this day. 
God writes in his commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who is within your, gra- your ga- gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, God asks us to have certain parameters on the Sabbath, not because he is arbitrary or vindictive, but he knew the holiness of the day could not be fully enjoyed if we allowed that which is secular, that which is profane, that which is not in accordance with with his divine plan for that day to be part of that day. He knew that he knows how easily we as humans are distracted and how easily we allow things to interfere with our relationships. Think about it again from the standpoint of a marriage relationship. Many of us know the big things that will will burst or will interfere with our marriage relationships. We know the big things. Imagine there's a holy bubble around your marriage. We'll call it a holy bubble, this bubble around your marriage. Now in our society, there's many things that interfere with this. There's the epidemic of pornography. There's the epidemic of, 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 of workaholism. There's all these things that interfere with, with marriage, that, that burst that bubble, that puncture that bubble. There's relationships that we should not have with, with the opposite sex that, that puncture that bubble. And we all recognize those. But there's other things that we do that also puncture those bubbles that we do not even realize. Continue to think about the sacred bubble. I know some of you are better at this than Christina and I are. Some of you have date nights. I hope you have date nights. A few of you. Do any of you have date nights? See a few heads nodding. Maybe we're all just too much of a professional, busy, working crowd. We should all pause a little more and have a date night once in a while. Or every week we should have one. Christine and I, I told her in first service in front of the whole congregation, I said, we'll keep working at it, honey, and by 50 years, by the grace of God, we'll get there and we'll have it consistent every single week. She nodded, hopefully. Uh, But imagine you have a date night set aside every week. And we'll just go, we'll pick on the men. Imagine every single week, about five minutes before date night is to begin, the husband says, you know what, I can't make it. I can't make it. I'm too busy. I can't make it. Or, you know, we're going to have to delay it for another hour, maybe two hours. I just got too many things I've got to do. We've begun to puncture this, this bubble around this relationship. We began to, to interfere, to, to infiltrate it. Say you do go on your date. Say you do go on your date. But the entire time that you're on your date, you're answering texts. You're talking on the, your cell phone. You're answering your emails. You're on a date there with your wife, but, but you're sitting there looking at your phone the entire time or responding to something. How does she feel in that moment? Does she feel special? Does she feel valued? Does she feel loved? I went on a date with uh, Tony Tuma the other day, uh, uh, a guy's date. We went out and we went, to, uh, we went to the Washington Capitals game. And before that, we went to dinner at this nice Indian restaurant. And we were there probably for about an hour, and we were sitting next to this couple. And Tony, I don't know if you recognize this, but there was this couple next to us, a married couple. They were sitting there. You could tell by a few things they said to each other, which was very little. But they were sitting there next to each other. And, and we were there for, for about an hour. And I was watching this couple, and I'm pretty sure that they said no more than five 
full sentences to each other. The husband the entire time was looking down in his lap and he had there his phone and he was texting and writing and also I noticed at one point he was playing games on his phone. And the wife was, was sitting there and she was looking at him and she would say something to him and he would look up and respond to her and then he would go back to what he was doing on his phone. Eventually, after probably, I mean, she was really patient with it. She probably waited a good little while. She eventually reached into her purse and she grabbed her phone and now they were both playing games and texting and, and writing and doing these things. And I was watching this couple and I was thinking to myself, when they go home, are they gonna think to themselves, what a wonderful date we had where we connected with one another, where we, where we, where we had this bonding with one another as we paid Tetris or whatever people play on. I don't have any games on my phone, so I can't even tell you what, are, what there are. Parents, a little secret. If you have no games on your phone, your kids will not want your phone. It's a good little trick. Instead of building up that relationship, that one little distraction has, has begun to interfere. Now, is it unholy to answer an email? Is it unholy to answer a text? Is it unholy to, to, to answer a phone call when you're with your... No. And we wouldn't expect people to get divorced over these types of things. But it does interfere with the relationship. Landon is my snuggler, my middle son. He is my snuggler, which is kind of funny because some of you may notice that he's the most aloof one. He's aloof to all of you, but he's the snuggler to me and he's my he's my hugger and he's my snuggler and every night I put them to bed uh, the boys to bed and Landon always wants extra cuddles and so I'll, I'll lay down with Landon and I'll cuddle him and we'll talk and inevitably it seems like almost every night I'll get some sort of text um, uh, you know you guys send me a lot of texts and emails and phone calls I am going to blame you because 99% of the time it is someone at the church and uh, I get these I get these texts or these different things and unfortunately I am not as self-disciplined as I should be, and I'll start to grab my phone. I don't know if his mom taught him this or what, but he says now, without fail, even before I can get the phone open, Daddy, is that more important than me? Every time. I, he'll have been brushing his teeth in the bathroom, and I'll already be laying down waiting for him, and I have my phone out, He'll be walking towards the bed. Daddy, is that more important than me? <laughs> Why does he do this? Because, because that time with Landed is, is his sacred time. And he sees that phone as an interference to his sacred time. Now, is it unholy for me to have a phone? Is it unholy for me to text? Is it unholy for, for me to, 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 to respond to emails? My phone is not a sin, but it does puncture. That thing done in the wrong context, in the wrong time, punctures that sacred bubble, that sacred time with my son or with my wife. God has invited us to be a part of this holiness in time once a week. Not a date night with our spouse, but a date day with our Lord and our Savior and our Creator and our Redeemer. And on that day, he has asked us to not do what we want or our normal pleasures, but to do as he has asked. Isaiah 58, you have your Bibles open real quick to Isaiah 58. A text many of you know, I'm sure. 
Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, Verse 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you read that text, you can read it from two different perspectives. You can read it from a perspective of God is no fun. Our selfish nature would like to read it that way. God is no fun. He says, don't do as you would like to do. Don't talk about the things you would like to talk about. Don't go the places that you would like to go. And it can sound like God's trying to take away all our fun. But then at the end of that text, or at the beginning of, uh, end of verse 14, it says, if we do these things, we will find ourselves delighting in the Lord. We will find delight in the Lord. You see, the Lord understands something about us. He's not saying all those things that you, that you like to do or that you like to talk about or you like to spend time. He's not saying that those things are, 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 are wrong. What he's saying is, is I know that you will enjoy this relationship more if you focus solely on me. If you focus solely on me. I know for a fact that when I go out with my wife and I am consumed with what's happening in my little world there, I know for a fact that, that she is not enjoying the time and I discover that, that there's a disconnect in that relationship and I don't enjoy it as much. We all discover this. We know this intrinsically about our human relationships. It's the same way with God. God says, don't do these things, not because I want to keep you from fun, but because I know something about human nature. And if you keep these things out, trust me, in the end, you'll enjoy this relationship that I have with you so much more. So much more. On Sabbath, we refrain from the secular, from the profane, that which is not sacred. Not because we are rule keepers, not because we are clock watchers, not because we are law-abiding citizens, even if that's what we are. We do so because we love the relationship that we have with Jesus, and we want that relationship to experience the fullness of that date we have every week with our God. So on Sabbath, I refrain from certain things. This is why I don't play sports on the Sabbath, competitive sports on Sabbath. Not because I think sports are all bad in and of themselves, but because most of the time when I'm playing sports, I'm focused on beating and winning and, and overcoming someone else. That's what I am. Even something like golf, when I'm playing by myself. I used to uh, play golf on the Sabbath before I became, uh, uh, accepted the Lord as my Savior. I would play golf on the Sabbath. And I remember when I first became, uh, 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 started believing in Jesus, I didn't think there was anything wrong with this. And then I discovered that, you know what? If I hit a bad shot, sometimes things go through my mind that aren't always the best things. Any other golfers in here can relate to this? I discovered that, you know, probably this isn't a Sabbath activity to throw my club at that tree, have it break, and then be upset about this. I don't think golf's a bad thing. 
but probably not for the Sabbath. I don't go shopping, not because shopping is bad in and of itself, but because shopping most of the time is focused on what I like and what I want and, and what I'm looking for. But Sabbath is to be this day where I'm focused on that one that I love the most. Ladies, you can lean over and tell your husbands this is true. Husbands, if you go on a date with your wife and you are completely focused on her, you're confirming your love for her. In the same way, I want to say to Jesus, I love you so much. I want this day to be totally about you. Has nothing to do with law. Has nothing to do with making sure that I'm right in your eyes or in anyone else's eyes. Has nothing to do with these things. It's about that relationship. I want to love Jesus so much that those metaphorical phone calls of life won't distract me from the most important person in my life on the day he has asked me to go on a date with him. Folks, each of us have received an invitation to celebrate our creator and a savior on a holy day. You didn't receive an invitation to come to church. You didn't receive an invitation to focus on rules and regulations. You didn't receive an invitation to, to make sure you're lined up with the Sabbath because you're fearful of some coming and looming eschatological difficulty. We didn't receive an invitation just to hang out and do as we please. You didn't receive the invitation into the Sabbath so that you could get a day off of work. You received this invitation because God wants to have a deeper relationship with you. And he knows, just as we need that extra time with our spouse or with our children or with our grandchildren, he knows that you need this special extra time with him each week to make sure that relationship is strengthened and it grows. So how do we respond to that invitation? I wanna invite you now at this time to pull out your connection cards. Should be in your bulletins, these cards. Remember part three. And there on the back it says, my worship response and I will remember the Holy Sabbath by refraining from. I put this here because I want you to think about not refraining from because of law or legalism or these things. I want you to think about what is the thing in your relationship with God that on Sabbath can be a distraction, can be a distraction from your relationship with him. You can write these down, I'll see them, I'll pray for them if you desire to turn them in. You don't have to tell anybody else, but I'm gonna tell you mine so that you can know that I'm a struggler, okay? And so that you can understand that I don't say this just with like, hey, this is so easy. I'll tell you the two things that I struggle with, the metaphorical phone calls, I struggle with puncturing my date time with Jesus. The first one is this, I struggle with wanting to check the scores of the games. I'll be honest with you. Last night, the Dodgers were playing the San Francisco Giants. I'm a lifelong Dodger fan, which means I have a responsibility to be a lifelong disliker of the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw was pitching against Madison Bumgarner. At least four or five times last night, I thought to myself, I'd really like to know what's going on in that game. 
I didn't. Praise God, by the grace of God. But it's something I struggle with. I want to get to the place where I don't even think about that. I don't even want to do that. I don't even want to do that. That's that metaphorical phone call that kind of punctures my, my Sabbath experience sometimes. The other thing is this. Is because we overcome bad habits, or it's hard to overcome bad habits, I also tend to focus a lot on what is right and wrong on the Sabbath, which is legalism. And that punctures the bubble too. Sometimes I, I'm so worried about not thinking about the game and not thinking about this and not thinking about that that I'm more focused, I find, on some of those rules. And I want to get to that place where, where I don't think about that anymore. Where all I'm focused on is that special date, that time that I have with my Savior. You can pray for me in these two areas. You don't have to tell anyone else what your things are, but I will pray for you. Some people want to know clearly, well, what is it that I can and can't do? I'm not going to tell you that. That's between you and the Lord. I want you to pray about those things. Someone in here, some of you in here already have that little prick of conscience, that little thing in your mind, that thing that popped up. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you of what that is. Some of you already have that thing in there. What is that thing that, that keeps me away from God? And I have this whole list that I want to say, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to keep it to myself. But what is it that, that, that punctures that, that time with God. Folks, remember the Sabbath day is an invitation to each and every one of us to weekly have an opportunity to fall more in love with Jesus and to spend a focused 24 hours of time not making the Sabbath holy, but experiencing the holy that God has given to each one of us through his divine relationship. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the blessing of the Sabbath. Lord, I thank you for the gift that it is to each one of us. I thank you for the relational value it is. Yes, it is law, and yes, there are long-term eschatological things that we think of. But Lord, we don't want to keep the Sabbath for those reasons. We want to enter into the Sabbath day because we're in love with you, Jesus. So soften each one of our hearts, Lord, and give us a true love and a true passion for our Savior. Lord, in my own life and in the lives of each of my brothers and sisters, please remove those things which puncture that holy bubble that you have built around this 24-hour time period. And Lord, next time we're asked, why do you keep the Sabbath? May our response be, because I'm so in love with Jesus, and I can't imagine doing anything else. In your name we pray. Amen.